Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast on today's show. I don't know what exactly to call her. She's kind of, I think she's a lighting designer, but we got into an awesome conversation, gosh, about a year and a bit ago about Dark Sky at the IES 2020 conference when people could actually travel and get together. And so we met Jane Slade and this was a great conversation. The reason why we're re-putting it out now, because there's a big announcement coming out that has something to do with seeing the stars and the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. So this was my favorite podcast about Dark Sky on this topic. So I want you to check it out again, because it's so special. And thanks to Jane Slate for coming on at the IES event over about a year ago. But before that, Greg, before that, we got to talk about the craziest people in lighting, buddy. I thought that was me and you, but it turns out that it's TCP. Oh, yeah. TCPI.com, Greg. The craziest people in lighting. I thought it was me and you, but it ain't. It's TCP. <sighs> well, we got the shirts on. Maybe we're part of the crew, but I like it, man. I don't know if that's where the name comes from. Well, we know that's not where the name came from, but I like it. It's a good, good little touch on it. And crazy in a good way. You know why? Because... They're doing everything, man. They've got every type of light bulb that you need, every type of fixture. Today, we're going to talk in this podcast a little bit about outdoor lighting. TCP has outdoor lighting. They're not just light bulbs. You know, they sold 3.5 billion compact fluorescents and a lot more LED, a lot of LEDs too. But they also have fixtures and they have exterior fixtures. They have dark sky compliant friendly, uh, area lights, wall packs, everything you need. TCP, the craziest people. Oh, yeah. You got to go to TCPI.com, baby. Of course, proud members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. There's a lot of crazy people in Nail, too. So check it out, NAILD.org. If you're a crazy lighting person, you got to join Nailed because that's where all the cuckoos are. Go to NAILD.org. Well, Jane Slade. Hello. We started to have... um, a conversation last night at Churchill Downs, and then we were a couple sentences in, and we put the brakes on it, and we said, "Now we got to push record or send this one out to live stream folks out there." You're really passionate about something. What is it? It's how lighting pollution impacts wildlife. <sighs> Can't the birds fly somewhere else? Well, there's only one planet, and we have humans' iPhones in our pocket, which tell us key information about survival instincts like we can find out the weather or we can find out um, the temperature but for animals having information about light and a view of the night sky is a first line of defense you know one of the terms in this industry that has always made me really uncomfortable and then now kind of disgusts me is human-centric lighting agreed could not agree more. It really bothers me as well. It's like, it's all about humans. No, actually, no. And actually, humans are a part of a larger womb ecosystem we call Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's got her own things going on that we might want to become a little more aware of if we want to survive for a long time. Um, what do we do about this? Because there's just not enough people that are aware of, of lighting impact on wildlife. There's a lot of like completely unaware that, uh, you know, you say, oh, yeah, no, no, the brighter, the better. Smash up that glare bomb, uh, you know, along that highway, along the beach and all that sort of stuff. And everything. No, there's actually a lot of things that are happening that 
you know, light is causing trouble for? Where do you want to start with this thing? Well, I think the first thing is awareness. So there's actually a psychological concept where if you learn a psychological concept, like if I were to tell you, you make friends in networks. Okay. And then, you know, a while down the line, you're like, oh, of course, humans make friends in networks. I've always known that. So the concept is that you think you always have known that concept. So I'm hoping that this information, when we get this information out to most people, that it becomes common knowledge, that light is triggering for all species, and that we absolutely need darkness at all points of our um, daily cycle. I mean, not at all points, but as in we need darkness and a constant interval within a 24-hour uh, cycle. I I believe the psychological concept you're talking about is called the cascade effect. Mm, I've lost the term for that, but I never forgot it when I learned it in college. Yeah, it's called the cascade effect, right? So it cascades, right, and forward. Uh, But yes, so go ahead, Greg. I was just going to say, so you're saying we need to turn off lights at night. We absolutely need to turn off lights at night. But I think the first key thing is that people just don't know. You know, they're not monsters, but right now... They're going to Home Depot for a sink and they see this gorgeous tree lighter shining up uh, as an option for their driveway. And they're like, oh, maybe I should go buy that. And it's this blue, highly triggering wavelength. They put it in the trees. They awaken the birds at night. They affect the tree's ability to um, photosynthesize. So this is um, something that we're kind of like misguiding people through product placement. But if we let them know that there's an issue, they're not monsters. They don't want to be doing this. So it's really the first thing is awareness. And then, yes, turning lights off at night. My call to action is turning lights out from 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. every day. Isn't that a security concern? That is a uh, misconception. So one of the reasons why we're in this position is that there is under the surface this litigious thinking that more light is safer. The truth is, is we have a beautiful light source in the sky at night. It's the moon. The moon, uh, our eyes can adjust to the moon. We can walk by the light of the moon. Um, Some species are actually triggered by light lower than starlight. So we are um, really obliterating our ability to see naturally at night. And studies show that more light is just more wattage. That is not necessarily safer. In fact, we can overadapt the eye to darkness or to light. And then because of that, the eye can no longer see in the shadows, making it easier for people to hide in the shadows, for obstacles to trip over. So there's a better way to be doing this um, than we have. But the what's driving it is the idea that more light is safer or more secure. And it's not really true. And we've ratcheted ourselves up to these really high light levels. Now we're in this sort of light addiction where we Hmm. can't actually um, imagine a place where we could see by the light of the moon. But that's what we've always done. It is crazy sometimes at night when, especially in like the winter when it reflects off the snow and how bright it really can be. Mm -hmm. You look outside sometimes and it seems like it's day, but it's midnight. This happens to have all the reflections. So I agree. How about censoring lights at night? Is that something you believe in as a Absolutely. I do think that there is a call for lights and putting so the idea of controls implies that we've not been in control of our lighting. <laughs> <laughs> True. 
So if you have a light on a control, if it's a sensor or if you've scheduled it, that's awesome. The problem is most of our lighting is really not controlled. So we don't, and then we tend to not take control over public spaces. So if I walk into a room and it's not mine, I'm not necessarily going to authorize myself to turn the light levels to a certain way. Mm. But uh, that's why we really need to have overarching smart technology to control lighting. The technology is there. We just haven't gotten to the habit of using it to the amount that we should be using it. All human cultures um, sacrificed animals. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they would take the fattest calf, it would slit its throat, they would put it on a pile of rocks and they would burn it, their best calf, and send the smoke to heaven. I tell people this and they're like, why would our ancestors want to send burned goat smoke up to the sky? Mm-hmm. Because they had a really deep relationship with the stars. Like imagine if you saw the stars every night of your life. Mm-hmm. And every night of your life, you came out of your house and your kids were asleep and you looked up and you were just like, holy mackerel. Like that's God, right? In a way. Mm-hmm. So they, that's why they did that. Right. So I mean, I, I, that's not why. I mean, that's not the actual answer. Nobody knows the answer, but it is the answer. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's exactly why they did that. Because up there was God or the mystery of the universe or just awesomeness or sublimity, whatever you want to call it, right? We've lost our relationship to that totally. Right. I feel two two ways about that. One is that, as you said before, the idea of human-centric lighting. Mm. It's all about me. It's all about... What's the right term? Well, I mean, that term is implying that you are caring about more than just illumination and, and getting enough light to do versus you're actually making it feel a certain way. Um, so you're kind of, it's, it does imply more depth than maybe where we've come from. I would say, though, that the dark sky discussion has often been centered around that loss of the view of the night sky for humans and not necessarily getting to a much more urgent issue, which is that light, there's no species on the face of the planet that is not impacted by light pollution mm. because Impactive of, negatively yes always be, there's never positives um i can't say that for sure but i don't yeah. think i want to say that at all because i don't want to i don't want to further yeah, yeah. this problem mm-hmm. um i mean there's light therapy but i don't think that the uh you know mammals are coming out of the woodwork for human light therapy mm-hmm. <laughs> so the the discussion is often centered around our loss of the night sky and not getting to the more crucial issue, which is that there was recently a landmark UN report showing that we're pushing the plants and animals, or the animals especially, to the corners of the earth. In fact, some animals are behaving more nocturnally to avoid humans. So we're really creating a place where human, the animals are kind of avoiding us because of light. So that's really the more urgent issue, because if you're talking about human-centric, What's going to be more impactful, the light and of my iPhone at 11 p.m. at night when I'm, you know, reading and I shouldn't be doing, uh, putting light onto my retina, or the fact that I've triggered the circadian rhythms of thousands of species and I'm interconnected with all of the, that, that entire network. 
Where I do think the night sky and a view of the night sky is a really big issue for your humans is that it furthers the disconnection. And so while I don't want to get too far down the road of nostalgia for that, because I think the, the urgent issue is the plants and animals and the impact there. Mm-hmm. I do think when we lack that connection to the stars, that it disconnects us even further from the impacts we're creating. So I feel two ways about the views of the night sky, because I think it's actually really important for our ability to reconnect with our ecosystem and our planet and the natural way of living. But I'm not that sad about, you know, humans not being able to look at the stars, because I think that that has displaced the real topic. Hmm. So there's a dark sky compliant fixtures. Do you believe that that's the correct terminology? Is there such a thing as a dark sky fixture? Is that the right move? Yes. Is that a start? So this is this is going to get me into maybe the hot seat here. <laughs> You're live right now, okay? So watch the, <laughs> I wa- know. Wa- watch the, the names of companies and anything like that. Right. Of course. No. But I do have some opinions about dark sky, which is that it's super important to direct light downward. And yet when you are walking around this conference and you see all of the lighting that's possible to specify, especially in exterior environments, a lot of that those fixtures are upward in 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 their directionality of the light and those fixtures continue to be specified so and on top of that there are a lot of exterior spaces that call for developing a friendly community space for people to be able to be invited and feel safe um, there are projects that really develop an exterior space so that it's not just downward lighting. And I think that that is definitely the direction we should ultimately end up going. But at this stage, I don't think there's enough awareness that conti- that having to always specify dark sky fixtures is necessarily the answer right now. I think what we need to do is implement controls and turn the lights off at night when they're not in use. That is going to be our first step to really starting to make a change with lighting pollution. From there, I'd like to bring in more awareness so that slowly over time, we get to more dark sky fixtures. But I think right now, I don't know if the community is 100% ready for it. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's stuff you'd have to change a, a lot of things <laughs> yeah. to, to make it go. I, even walking around last night for a little bit, uh, there's buildings are lit up from the ground up. Exactly. All over the place, so you see it everywhere. But you think it's realistic that people are going to, your goal of 12 a.m. to 6 a.m., that I guess going back, you said you still need it in certain applications. Not every light is going to be turned off. It's just only when you need it. Right. So that's where the control comes in. Yeah. So I'm big into human safety, human activity. Um, But the problem is, is that we are just. You're not not anti-human. Not (laughs) anti-human at all. There's people that are like, like there's people that there's humans. That think, gosh, you know what? The, if we just got rid of all these damn humans, yeah, we wouldn't have the problem we have now. Our, you know, and this sort of stuff. It's not a we don't have a wolf problem in California. We have a human problem. <laughs> you know, the wolves are eating humans. It's like, no, uh, take it easy there, big guy. But you know, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm gonna. I think this is also a spiritual discussion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, it's it's about who we are as a species and how we interact. And what do I, what I like to do is sometimes is I kind of blow people's minds with a, like a weird comment or whatever. Right. So you know who Galileo is, right? Yes. So Galileo said the earth's round, not flat. Right. Now 
there's a lot of anecdotal evidence for that, right? Like when you watch a ship coming towards the land, it kind of rises mm-hmm. up and you see the top of the mast first and the, it kind of rises up. The sun is round. The moon is round. Um, when you look uh, at the clouds off a cliff into the ocean or into the lake, you can, they kind of look like they're going down, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. So if someone comes to you and says, you know, the, the earth is round, it's a sphere or whatever. It's like, maybe. You know who Copernicus is, though, right? Yes. So he said that the earth revolves around the sun. Mm-hmm. There is zero anecdotal evidence for that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if you, so he goes to the Pope. Like, the Catholic Church, uh, they didn't even believe when they said the earth. It's not that obvious, bro. <laughs> okay? Like if someone comes to you and like you, you're living in the Middle Ages, and this priest comes to you and he says to you, yeah, you know what? What's that? Do the math. And the earth actually revolves around the sun. But the moon revolves around, oh, the moon revolves around the earth, but the earth revolves around the sun, buddy? Yeah, okay, sorry. But like, people need to understand that we're on a wet rock moving at 14,000 kilometers an hour around a nuclear fission reactor that's spinning at 100,000 kilometers an hour through the universe. Mm-hmm. And all this is powered by light. Right. The whole thing. Right? And in a way, humans are kind of like, they relate to light like fish do to water. It's kind of hard to, for us to know what it actually is. Right. That's absolutely true. Yeah. It's so ever-present. Yeah. And if you say to people like, no, you got to turn the lights off at night, they're like, what are you talking about, man? That's not so... No, you're like, dude, you listen to me for a second. You know, you, 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 you know, we need to turn it off because I think what you're saying is that wasted light at, light at night is a form of hazardous waste. Absolutely. And yet with the... This type of pollution, which I've deemed sensory pollution, so light pollution and sound pollution, people don't necessarily give the credence to these types of pollution that they might say with air pollution or water pollution, because there's the idea that there's something physical that's being ingested or going in. And that is much more alarming in nature than the idea of like sound, okay, you know, turn up the volume or turn down the volume. That seems a lot less harmful, but it doesn't necessarily, uh, that's not necessarily true. And back to your point, what you were saying before, do I think that we can come to a place where we turn the lights out from 12 to 6? Well, if you look at cigarettes, people used to smoke cigarettes in the 50s all the time. Mm-hmm. Everybody, somebody's still going to turn on a light. Somebody's still going to smoke a cigarette here and there. But for the most part, this is a, something that people have changed greatly in their habits. And I think that we can definitely come back to a place of honoring darkness through getting the awareness out. It's going to have to be regulated to some degree or or forced or put into code that you have to do this. Absolutely. Well, one thing I've been wanting to do is actually writing a children's book on the topic, because I think if we can get this information into children's minds, also having parents read the book to children, um, it's a great gentle way of making Children's books are for adults. A little bit. It's true. You ever read the one about the dragon and the boy? No. So the boy is upstairs in his room and he wakes up and there's a little dragon there in his room. And he goes downstairs and he says, Mom, there's a, there's a dragon following me. And the mom says, that's not possible, son, because dragons don't exist. The dragon gets bigger. And then he's sitting down and he's eating breakfast and the dragon's eating his pancakes. And the boy says, Mom, I can't eat my breakfast. And she says, why is that, son? She says, because there's a dragon eating my breakfast. And mom says, that's not possible, son, because dragons don't exist. Dragon gets bigger. 
right? Then he goes to school and the dragon's following him to school and, this, and he says to his teacher, like, I can't hand in my homework because the dragon ate my homework. And the teacher said, Johnny, that's not possible because dragons don't exist. Dragon gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And all this denial of the dragon makes the dragon bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And eventually they're outside their home. They're looking at the house. The dragon is out the front door. His tail's going out the back, right? And, it's, and he's like, we can't go inside, mom, because the dragons filled up our whole house. And the mom says, that's not possible, son, because dragons don't exist. And then the dragon gets so huge, the dad comes home and the dragon's running off with the house. And then the dad's looking at the mom and like, no, maybe dragons do exist, actually. <laughs> right? It's so like this denial of our problems that makes them worse and worse and right. grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, one of the, one of the, I heard a comment from a Canadian politician one time and uh, he said, you know, the, the true sign of intelligent society is not technology it's not iphones it's not a, it's how we handle our hazardous waste mm. right if we're filling our lakes with garbage and we're polluting our land and all that we're really stupid actually yes yeah regardless of how many iphones or whether we can go to the moon or whatever it is that you think is a sign of, a tech, of intelligence mm -hmm. if you're taking fluorescent tubes say and dumping them into the landfill and filling that landfill with mercury you're an idiot <laughs> Like, you're a stupid idiot. I hate to say it. Like, like you're stupid. Beyond belief, actually. Yeah. You know? And uh, so, and I think it's time for us to consider, you know, light at night, wasted light at night. Not all light is ha wasted light is hazardous waste. But outdoor lighting at night is hazardous waste. Yes. And actually, there's uh, new information that when they did, they were analyzing the air in Los Angeles. And because that air is so much filled with soft particulate and dust, that there's even more sky glow because the light is able to re-reflect off those trillions of mirrors. Mm. They, I, I just learned this yesterday, so this definitely needs a deep dive on my part. But when light is warm, and when air is warm and lit, you actually prevent um, the natural process of air being cleaned through free radical nitrates. So for some reason, when the air is warmer and more illuminated, it's actually um, creates more of a problem in terms of air pollution. So those are also related. <clears throat> so we start with the South, the desert, no more light for them. Minnesota's okay. We can keep it out at night. <laughs> Isn't the cold? Not quite. Right, right, exactly. Well, exactly. So the warmer air, which really just points to a very cyclical problem because of the fact that our climate is on general warming anyway, mm -hmm. but that there is a relation there between air pollution and light pollution. Is there a, an <clears throat> animal or a species that's most affected by light pollution that there's been studies that these the species is the most negatively affected by this? Birds are really commonly um, affected uh, affected species. One thing is, yes, they navigate by the light of the stars. So there's a map there. They use the map of the stars to find their way. Some birds will navigate um, 50,000 miles in a year. The Arctic turn chases summer down to Antarctica and then back up to the Arctic. You're a badass, Arctic churn, because that's crazy shit. Yes. And Sorry, I hate to say it. It's where on the live stream, but like you think about that. Yeah. Like that is absolutely incredible. That's it a, is. That's a miracle. It is a miracle. 
And the birds uh, will follow the light of the sun and the stars. They also do use geomagnetic forces. Geomagnetic forces are not consistent across the face of the earth, which is why you have multiple migratory mechanisms. Um, one major issue, though, with birds is that they, they poop on my car. That is a huge issue. <laughs> I didn't think we'd get to that. I'm glad we did. But they do not read glass as form, but rather as void. So when there is a glass reflective surface that shows especially the, the canopy of a tree, the birds are, have actually evolved to be able to fly about 35 miles an hour through tree canopies. So they can fly so like they're booking acrobats. It. They're booking it. Yeah, like acrobats. They're going through these tree canopies. When you have a glass exposure overlooking a garden area with trees, this is a beautiful uh, condition for humans, extremely dangerous for birds because birds will be booking it through the trees, hit the window wall, and they usually die at that speed. So um, it's estimated that up to 1 billion birds die in North America due to fatal flight into buildings. So this is a form of light pollution that is straight up killing the species not just navigating them off course, but really drawing them in. And for some birds, it's been cited that some birds actually, their species, it's biologically significant for their species, how many are killed by fatal flight into buildings. I think it's, I think it's actually a form of, of a new type of natural selection. I don't know that no, I it, it is. like that. <laughs> no, but it's like, so there's a movement in Toronto to stop making towers of glass. So mm. all of, like Toronto has 141 cranes. There's more construction in Toronto than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. There's cranes everywhere in Toronto. And all of those buildings are made of glass. Mm -hmm. Aluminum and glass, of the exteriors, right? And people are talking, well, we got to stop making buildings of glass. And people are like, what are you talking about, dude? I'm trying to take my garbage out on Thursday. I got to take my ki kids to daycare. Like, what, you, what is this issue? Light at night and uh, uh, it gets crazy. Um, but, you know, I, I really think our relationship to light, our relationship to other species and animals is something that, you know, uh, it's an Adam and Eve uh, argument. Mm -hmm. It's the garden that we, you know, as conscious beings, we are called to cultivate the garden and to make it, you know, make it a place you want to live. Mm -hmm. You know, like even when you think about America, America in a way is like a, a walled garden. Right, Canada is like a walled garden. It's like a, it's a mental picture in your mind. There's no line on the 49th parallel, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, we have to care for our gardens in a sense. We're so powerful as a species, yet we move like dumb elephants, you know, crushing, like destroying things in our path in a way. Mm -hmm. And there's a call to like sit back and stop and and think about you know what our relationship is. Not from a cocky, anti-human sense. Right. You know, these damn humans or whatever. But it's like, when, when I heard about, I'm almost going to cry actually, thinking about, when I heard about the turtles going the wrong way because of the LED lights, mm -hmm. oh man, I was just like, that's so horrible. Yeah, it's terribly sad. It's so horrible. Yeah. Like these turtles are actually going the wrong way because they think that stupid LED light is the moon. Right. And then they die of dehydration. Oh, in the sand it's, uh, I'm almost going to cry thinking about it. It's such a tragedy yeah. actually. Yeah. But it's also other animals. And that's one thing that I mention um, when I talk on the subject is that I will ask how many people have heard of the sea turtle problem and many people will raise their hands. 
But then I ask, how many people have heard about dung beetles? Mm. A lot fewer raise their hands. Those gross dung beetles. Those are gross. Exactly. And I... Come on, man. The the rats aren't cute. I contrast those two species because humans have glommed on to the sea turtle issue because they're adorable. Mm -hmm. And they die in the beach. These are places we want to be. So That's so human-centric of you. Human-centric. But dung beetles, they did a study. They and, smell like crap, though. Get those dung yeah, beetles they out They actually of here. reuse that waste. Yeah, yeah, dung so dung beetles, they put them in a planetarium. When the lights were on, the animals moved in straight, narrow paths. When they turned the lights out, they moved in random, scattered movement. The reason that they move in straight paths is to avoid competitors and predators. Mm. But the point is to say that even animals as tiny as dung beetles with tiny little brains, they're utilizing the map of the stars to navigate Mm. through the earth. So this is a profound connection that animals need to have to the view of the stars, but it's happening from sea turtles to dung beetles, to zooplankton, to whales. There's really uh, no species that's not directly or indirectly impacted by a disconnection from natural light. Hmm. Well, you know, I'm going to say this. So, and a uh, great man that I know well, who's, uh, you know, changed the way I think about things. His name is Luke Sellers. But he said something once that I really think that um, is impactful when we think about who we are. And he said, you know, we are created in the image and likeness of God, mm-hmm. right? But we humans in our egos create, uh, in, uh, we humans in our ego create, are we humans create God in the image and likeness of our ego. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have to stop doing that. We have to stop serving our the quickest thing that gives us the hit mm-hmm. or makes us, oh yeah, shit, get a light out there. Yeah, that's good. Okay. We have to think through these problems and it's so deep. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe children's books are an answer. I don't know if there is an answer to this, but I, it, all you can do is create awareness in a sense. And in in, right. from a humble perspective. Right. It's true. So currently I'm, I'm a columnist in the LDNA magazine for, um, and I've been primarily writing about wildlife. Mm -hmm. Um, I do also want to write a children's book and then ultimately write the book for adult humans. So I think there's a lot we can do in terms of getting the awareness out there and then continuing to educate, connect at conferences like here at the IES annual conference in Louisville. I think that the more we make this common knowledge, the more empowered we will be to be able to say, uh, look, it may seem safer, but actually it's better to turn the lights out at night. And I think once we get to a place of empowerment, we'll be able to influence um, and get rid of the influence of litigious thinking that more light is safer. Because right now those two are in contention wildlife and the needs of wildlife to be able to connect to darkness and then American or um, human ideas of thinking that more light is safer. So let's just add another LED. Um, I think if we can get that idea sort of out of the mainstream and that we really need to get back to the natural daylight cycle, bringing darkness really into our idea of lighting, then I think we can get back to a place of really improving our environment. You know what the problem with lawyers is? What's that? They live in the past. Hmm. They live in the past that's based on rules that got to a place 
of um, being accepted. And it's hard to make new rules. Um, and that comes with the new generation. And I think we're getting to that. When I'm here at this conference, I really have been hearing a lot of people saying, yeah, that's great. But what about just getting back to the way nature did it? Greg called it, but I want to, I want to just maybe finish with, 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 uh, we're supposed to be half an hour. We're going to go a little longer on this okay. one. So you ever go to the zoo? It's not yeah. like you go to the zoo a lot, right? Zoos make me sad, but I'm of also, course. I love zoos at the same yeah. time. Like I'm, I have a love hate relationship with zoos and I like to watch the chimpanzees. Okay, so or or bonobos or gorillas too. I, I love watching them. So if you sit down and you watch the chimpanzees for a while in the zoo, you're going to figure out that there's an alpha male there, and you're going to figure out there's a female, mm. and, and then you're going to see the alpha male if he comes and grabs a banana from Greg. Greg doesn't do anything, but if one of the other Smart males man. comes and grabs a banana from him, Greg chases after him, pulls his ear, and grabs a banana back, right? And then you'll see another the female chimps over here, and then one of them seems to get groomed a little more than the other ones. Yeah. Right, and they picking the fleas off or eating them or whatever. But they all get groomed, but this one seems to get groomed the most, right? And then you can kind of see. And what I'm saying is that you can understand what they're saying to each other. Yes, absolutely. right. You can speak their language in a way, right? And all these things that we write, it's so gross, you know. I, I wrote it on paper, right? It's written down on paper in the language of the naked ape. <laughs> 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 right <laughs> right we don't need more regulations and rules we need better mores mm -hmm. we need deeper rules that yes. go beyond the what's written down absolutely it's like i didn't do anything wrong why is that because on paper it says this i'm not afraid of a fucking piece of paper man sorry right. i swore on the throat like take your paper and get your paper out of here right we got to start doing the right thing we all know what's right we can see it when we watch chimpanzees. They know what's right, too. Right. So dolphins, we can watch them. They know how to behave. And we are so deep in our egos with our stupid phones. We think we're so smart. That's why, getting back to the cascading yeah, psychological sure. concept, that's why, yes, we can have rules. But I am so hoping that through awareness, we can make this common knowledge. And then that's a much more powerful piece of uh, information and way of thinking about it than if it's a rule that someone has to look up this level of foot candles to be on um, pavement at this time of night. That's much, that's a great support to the common mm -hmm. knowledge. Yes. But I'm just truly hoping that once it becomes information that is out there that you can't unknow that blaring an, a, a fixture at 3 a.m. up into a tree won't create impact we don't need a tech a 40 page technical memorandum yeah exactly. exactly you know it's like to turn it off buddy so folks we're re-enchanting the night here with uh with uh with jane slade and we want to bring back a midsummer night's dream and some starry skies the craziest people in lighting tcpi.com baby tcpi.com greg Woo! That's right. You can see it on the shirts. We got matching outfits. Crazy in a good way. TCP has got everything. We talked about exterior fixtures. We talk about light bulbs. We talk about interior fixtures. Talk about Kelvin temperatures. Talk about beam angles. Talk about everything you need to know about a light bulb, light fixture. TCP has. They make it, or they can make it if you need it.
as Mike knows, they've done that special things Ooh, for him. They're you know crazy. what? <laughs> and Alice Young is one of my favorite people in the lighting business, man. Uh, you know, he just so much passion, so much energy. And yeah, call him crazy if you want. I mean, that's up to you and up to me and up to him. But he's happy to be the craziest people in lighting. So go to tcpi.com. They got it all, man. And, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. That's NAILD.org. Nailed.org. And, of course, Jane Slade. Thank you for coming on with us back at the IES event. And we got, Greg, we got an announcement about seeing the stars with Nailed and that sort of stuff coming out. And the birdies coming out soon. So we wanted to get this episode out to the peeps to let them know that we want to be able to see the stars. You know why? Because we're the craziest people in lighting. Yeah! Written on the rectory wall There's a sign there for all You are lost Lord is there to find you 